Welcome to the Hope Elam Podcast. We are a diverse church in the heart of Des Moines, seeking to bring God's kingdom as we live more like Jesus. We hope that what you're about to hear points you to Jesus Christ. Know that we're praying for you and look forward to connecting with you soon. Amen. Good morning, Hope Elam. It is so good to have you here. I love the 11 o'clock crowd. Brian, don't you love, I like the 11 o'clock crowd. It's a little rowdy in the spirit. I love, I love the 11 o'clock crowd. It's good. We're so glad that you're here. My name's John, one of the pastors here uh, this morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet, would love to do that uh, as well. But we're excited to be together today. Uh, we're going to dive right into it this morning. We're taking a little different route than we did uh, at nine, but we're diving right back into our series uh, that we've been in called The Ten Commandments. If you were here last weekend, we took a little pause. We took a little break from that as we celebrated our second anniversary. And give God praise for that. <clears throat> if you were here, you know. Uh, if you weren't here, you missed out. That's okay. There's always YouTube for that. But uh, we, we had an amazing uh, time of just celebrating, both looking back on all that God has done, but then looking forward. And we know that we are not where we want to be yet as a church, but we are not where we were. And God is moving and he is doing great things. But here's the thing. If we never stop and slow down, if we never stop and simply say thank you, we're going to miss it. There's going to be so many gifts and so many blessings and so many moments in our lives that we're just going to blow right through because we're always looking for something to be better. We're always looking for that next thing. And if we don't stop and slow down and say, God, thank you. Thank you. And not just this week as we head into Thanksgiving, but all throughout the year. We have so many things to be grateful for. So we did that last week. It was a great celebration. I'm seeing lots of Hope Elam merch and, and uh, people wearing their shirts today, which is awesome. And so we're excited to dive back into our sermon series. The Ten Commandments takes a long time to get through because there's 10 of them. So we're jumping back into that uh, today. And uh, if you if you've, haven't been around, uh, catch you up really quick. We're on, we're on number seven, but at the heartbeat of all of these commandments is a God that wants to have a relationship with us. At the heartbeat of all of these commands is a God that wants the best life possible for us. So we've gone through one through six. We're back into commandment number seven. Let's read it together. It's a really, really long verse. Think you can handle it? Let's read it together. You shall not steal. God through Moses, is giving us this command. It's pretty straightforward. And so if you're like me, you're looking at that saying, well, that pretty much sums it up. I guess we can go home, right? End of sermon, you know, unless you were planning on coming to worship today and you're going to grab some lunch after worship and then you're going to go rob a bank, uh, maybe this one's not for you, you might be saying. Like, oh man, I can just sort of check out of this one. Well, it's not exactly that. I'm, I'm pretty sure if you were planning on doing that, the Lord is telling you, no, stop, don't do that. But I think if you're like a lot of us, we don't see this as simply just, hey, I'm stealing, but all of us are looking for something in this life. All of us have a hole inside. All of us have a void, have an ache in our souls that we are looking to fill. All of us, at one point or another, have been tempted to take things that are not ours. Amen? That's the heart 
of this command. Every single one of us is looking to fill the hole inside. So let me ask you this as we start this morning. Are you full? And I'm not just talking about that amazing breakfast that Miles just made for us. That was, that was awesome. And I'm talking about French toast this morning. Is your life full? If somebody came up to you and said, are you satisfied? Are you content? Are you rich? Are you fulfilled? I'm not talking about necessarily by the world's standards or how would you would define prosperity or wealth. The world has its own standards that can be skewed. But if somebody said, are you content with your life, how would you define that? Is, 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 do I, yeah, do I have everything that I want? I've everything, I've, I've got everything I've ever wanted and needed. Is there something deeper? Is there an anchor to your soul? Is there a settledness about your life? Is there a peace? Is there an anchor to your soul that when life is up and down and the roller coaster of life, is there something that makes you say, I'm okay? I'm okay. I don't have everything that I want, but I am content. I am at peace. I am full. And if that's you this morning, praise God. But I think for all of us, there is an ache inside. There is a void between this is a, a picture, this is who I am or the man or woman of God that I am and then a picture of who I want to be. And in the middle of that, there is a void. And all of us, we do different things to try to fill that void. And the reality is, is that this command speaks directly to that. If you dig a little bit deeper in the original Hebrew in which this command is written, and go ahead and go to the next slide. If you dig a little bit deeper, you'll see that this word for steal in the original Hebrew is ganav. Everybody say ganav. You learned your daily dose of Hebrew now. There it is. Ganav. And ganav literally means what you think it would mean, theft or stealing. But every scholar, every, every biblical scholar that you kind of look and dissect this word a little bit as it translates into the English also says something to the effect of this. Also, the self-deceptive inner disposition. Oh, that's a mouthful. Think about that. The inner disposition that accompanies the action. If you haven't noticed it by now, every single one of these commands we've gone through in this series, yes, it's about the action. Do this or don't do that. God is way more concerned about your heart. What is going on underneath the surface, and we talked about last week that we want to grow up as a church into maturity. One of the ways that we grow up as followers of Jesus into maturity is not just dealing with the things that everybody sees. It's dealing with the deceptive thoughts, the lies, the insecurities, the doubts, and the fears that lie below the surface. What is contributing to that action? What is going on inside of me that might be contributing to that? And so Ganav is so much more than just, am I going to go steal somebody's money or their property or their possessions? It's the inner disposition. It's believing the lie that I will never have enough. You ever struggle with that? I know I have. I'll never have enough love. I'll never have enough satisfaction in my life. I'll never have enough pleasure, so I got to run and I got to find it somewhere else. How about this one? I'll never have enough significance. I need, I need that craving constantly filled. I'll never be good enough. I'll never be popular enough. I'll never be pretty enough. I'll never be strong enough. I'll never be wealthy enough. Whatever that enough is for you today, that's what Ganav is getting to. That's what this command is digging deeper into. If you think about it, another way to think about stealing is a shortcut. 
If there's the person that we are and then the person that we want to be, there is a space between. What do you do with the space between? What do you do with the void? And a lot of times what we do when we steal, we're taking an unhealthy shortcut to get from one place to another in that space between. I can't help but think about shortcuts and tell you this quick story. I think it was my junior, senior of high school. And I don't, I don't know about you. Did anybody ever play uh, over at your friend's house in, in school, play pick up, pick up games like baseball, football, soccer? Okay, three of you. Okay, so uh, we used to do that, right? And I grew up in a small town. And what you do is you go to your friend's house and you'd play till dark. And then we would hear the, hear the bell ring on the big church like we have in, a, in our bell tower and it'd be time to go home. So one night I was going home for dinner and it was a couple blocks away. And instead of going all the way around these two blocks to home, I decided, ah, I know what I'm going to do. I'm just going to cut through the backyards of all of these houses where I know most of the people that live there. And I mean, it's a shortcut. What could possibly go wrong? And so I just take off. It is, it is a cold, dark winter's night. It is so dark. You can't see anything. But I'm like, what, what is going to get in the way? It's people's backyards, and I'm going to cut like five minutes off my time going home, and I just take off running through these backyards. I'm just like full sprint. I mean, I'm like Forrest Gump. I'm just taking off. I'm going. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this wiry feeling thing just hits my face, and I go, boom! And I knocked over, and I'm on my back covered in snow, and I'm wet, and I reach up to touch my mouth, and I've got a bloody nose, and my lip is all cut up, and I look up, and above me are three clotheslines that I necessarily didn't take into account as I was taking this shortcut, and I remember getting home, and I walk in, I'm just, I'm, I am a mess, and my mom looks at me, she's like, wow, some football game, like, she looks like you got in a fight, and I'm like, yeah, I got in a fight with a clothesline, and the clothesline won, and the moral of the story is when you take shortcuts Sometimes you end up on your back. We take shortcuts in that way, but we can also take a lot of other shortcuts. What are some of the shortcuts that you've been taking recently to try to get from where you are to where you want to be? Our world, our culture screams at us, get it now. You deserve it. You need something, you want something, do whatever it takes to get it. Take a shortcut to get from where you are to where you want to be. Maybe it's a, a shortcut of uh, stealing intellectual property or an idea from somebody at work or getting, getting those uh, answers to the quiz at school, finding somebody that can help you with that. Maybe, we don't think about it in this way. Sometimes we steal the intimacy that God wants to give us in the context of a committed relationship and we just bounce from fling to fling or one night stand or partner or whatever it is and we steal the intimacy, that we steal intimacy through pornography. We steal intimacy through diving back into an abusive, unhealthy relationship over and over again because we want to feed the craving that I just need more love. Even if it's hurting us. We steal the intimacy, the gift that God was trying to get us when we try to run to it and get that gift in other ways. We, we steal when we draw and we try to find pleasure in different ways and we take a shortcut Maybe just one more drink. Maybe just one more pill. Maybe just one more trip to the refrigerator. Maybe feel a little bit better. Or maybe the opposite of that, if I can just cut down my weight a little bit and be a little bit skinnier, then I'll take that shortcut to the life that I want. All of it is trying to fill that God-sized ache inside of you. What are the shortcuts that you're trying to take? A lot of times we don't think about this one. We point our fingers at those that are into narcotics or substance abuse or alcoholism, we don't talk a lot about is workaholism. 
And I don't think the, I'm the only one that's struggled with that over the years. How many precious hours have you stolen from your family by continuing to run back to the safety net of work when you should be at home investing under your own roof? We take so many shortcuts in life, and some of you are like, oh man, I thought this commandment wasn't for me. Well, maybe it is. I think it's for all of us because we're not full, and we try to fill that with whatever we can do. The good thing, God's word speaks directly to this today. Matthew chapter 7. I love, I love how Jesus talks about this. I love the message version here because I think it speaks right to where we're at today. The message version of Matthew 7 says this. Don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life. Seven steps to this, ten steps to this, just do this. Don't fall for that stuff. Even though the crowds of people do, the way to life, the way to God, you're looking for life. The way to life to God is vigorous and it requires total attention. In a world that screams at you, take, steal, grasp, take the easy route, take the shortcut. How about this one? Nobody will ever find out. Nobody will ever get hurt. Nobody needs to know. Somebody always knows, somebody always gets hurt, and somebody always finds out. And more important than any of those things is what it's doing to you on the inside. Unhealthy shortcuts never fill you up. And Jesus says, come to me. When you're looking to fill that ache inside, come to me. And so what does Jesus want to offer today? He's, he's not saying, well, here's the line of stealing, and I want you to just kind of tiptoe and see as close as you can get to that. Jesus says, I want you to run in the opposite direction. Jesus says, I want to show you a new way of life that is free of constantly worrying about taking and grabbing and getting yours and getting enough. I want to teach you to live in a brand new way. There's three things that Jesus wants to teach us today. The way of Jesus is this. The first one is learning how to be content. Everybody say content. Content in all things, in all circumstances. Secondly, Jesus wants to teach us to be confident. Everybody says confident. Confidence not in ourselves, but in the Father. And last but not least, changed. Everybody say changed. 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 Not by our own willpower, but by grace. Let's take them one at a time. How does Jesus want to steer us away from a life of grasping and stealing and taking? First of all, by being content. By being content. Paul writes this in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. You've probably heard it before, but I want you to receive it in a brand new way this morning. Paul says this, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Paul's not sitting in some ivory tower in some posh palace writing this. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. What do we find in this passage? A couple things. Number one, contentment is something that must be learned. Some of you are like, oh, I'm not there yet. You ask me that question, am I okay? Oh, I'm not okay. I'm not okay. Contentment is something that is learned. And take it from me, I've been working with my counselor on this. There's always that next thing. And he asked me one time in one of our counseling sessions, he said, John, I'll just tell him all these things that are unsettled in my life. And he says, when is it going to be enough? When are you going to be okay? And he said, you know, I hate to tell you this, but as a pastor, have you considered Philippians chapter 4? I'm like, I know Philippians chapter 4. Like, that was part of my confirmation verse. I know that. I've got that memorized. He said, go read Philippians 4 again. 
I have learned to be okay. I have learned that Jesus is enough. I've learned contentment in all situations. We are born not content. We are born discontent. Parents, just a two-year-old, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? Mine, 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 mine. And you know what? That never goes away. Even as adults, mine, mine, mine. We're always grasping. We have to learn contentment. What is Paul saying here? Paul is saying what we're not talking about is settling. When I say, are you content? Please hear me say this. I am not asking you to shut down your heart. I am not asking you to settle. I am not asking you to say, well, I've got some serious needs that I have in my life to make ends meet. I'm not asking you to just push that aside and pretend that you're not a human being for pity's sakes. What I'm asking you to do is to say, is Jesus enough? Are you settled in him? Are you rested in him? Please don't shut down your heart. Please don't shut down your desires. I want to define contentment in this way. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Contentment instead is living free from the lie that having more of something makes you something more. What is that more for you? I just need a little bit more. I just need a little bit more recognition. I just need a little bit more popularity. I need a little bit more significance. I need a little bit more love from my partner. I need a little bit more, whatever that is. Why? Have you stopped and slowed down and done the hard work of the soul to ask yourself that question? What is it going to take for it to be enough for me? For Jesus to be enough for me? The, the, the question is, even if, even if Jesus doesn't come through in the way that I want him to, even if things don't go the way that I want, even if those prayers don't get answered in the way that I thought, even with, I will still praise him. Amen? Because he's enough for me. The heart of stealing, the heart of theft says, I need Jesus plus fill in the blank. What is that plus for you? And we try to fill that blank with a lot of different things. Contentment says Christ alone. Christ alone. And that's where people get all mixed up here in Philippians chapter 4. Oh, I love Philippians 4.13, right? Everybody's got it. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Here's the problem with that, is when we do this with any verse, we pull it out of context, okay? Unfortunately, that has been doctored up and kind of shifted and, and, and changed to mean, I can do all things. I can do anything I want if I just set my mind to it and God will come along and bless it. That's kind of what we've shifted that verse to mean. Can I burst your bubble this morning? There's a lot of things you can't do. There's a lot of things I can't do. I would love it if, if, if uh, Philippians 4.13 said, I can do all things. Oh, I'm going to join the NBA someday. I'm just going to put my mind to it and God's going to give me the strength. I am not going to play in the NBA. That ship has sailed, okay? I am probably not going to be rich and famous. I'm probably not going to win the I can't do all things. That's not what Paul is talking about. He is not talking about you set your mind to it and then you can just do whatever you want. Paul is talking about who is going to give you the ability and the strength to be a person that is settled? How are you going to have the strength in your life to get to the place where you are content? Paul says this. It's only, only when Christ becomes your everything. 
It's the sufficiency of Christ, not the sufficiency of of self that is going to be enough for you. Paul says, my identity is so wrapped up in Jesus. Paul says, if I die, I get Jesus. And if I live, I've got Jesus. I can't lose. That's why Christ is enough for me. That's where contentment comes from. No matter where I go and what I do, my identity is so wrapped up in him. I've got Jesus. I can't lose. No matter what happens, even if, fill in the blank, I'm good. I'm okay. I'm settled. That's what Philippians 4.13 is about. How do you flee from a life of stealing, of grasping, of taking? You learn to be content. Number two, you learn to be confident. Everybody say confident. If you think about it, at the root of stealing is fear. If I'm thinking about taking something that's not mine, no matter what it is, it's fear. It's fear that's rooted in I don't have enough, so I have to take something. I'm not going to trust that what I have is enough. Jesus speaks directly to this in our scripture reading today from Luke chapter 12. And sometimes I start reading these words of Jesus that maybe you've heard many times. I want to frame it up for you differently this morning. I want you to imagine that Jesus just walks in here this morning. And if he did, I would be off the stage so fast, I'd be like, you're... You have the stage. Um, I want you to just picture Jesus walking in this morning and coming up to you and holding you by the shoulders and looking you in the eyes as your savior, as your good shepherd, as your friend, and looking you in the eyes right in the middle of whatever you're dealing with in your life today. Those eyes that can see right through you, that can see everything, past all of the walls that you try to put up. I want you to imagine him looking at you in the eyes. And now he says this to you. I don't want you to worry about your life. What you're going to eat or your body or what you're going to wear. Life is more than food and the body is more than clothes. I want you to imagine Jesus looking you in the eyes this morning and saying, have you stopped and looked at the birds recently? When's the last time you saw them freaking out? What are you so worried about today? What's on your list that you just are stressing out about? What seems so out of control in your life? And yet, consider the birds, your God feeds them. Now, I want you to, how can you be stressed when the God of the universe is looking you in the eyes saying, how much more valuable are you than these little birds? We have a how much more God. We have a how much more God. Sometimes we forget that God is Jireh, Jehovah Jireh, God who provides, not who might provide, but who has provided, amen? This is who our God is. We have a how much more God. There's two ways to live this life, as if everything is up to us, and if anything is good gonna happen, I gotta have it on my shoulders. The other way to live this life is that you have a good father that is going to take care of you no matter what. This has really hit home in the last month or so. Our kids are getting a little bit older, and as they get older, parents, you know this, they become more aware of the world around them, and that veil of innocence kind of gets pulled away. And I've just noticed in the last few weeks, our kids are just getting worried and stressed out about things they never have before. Like, why do you care what you look like all of a sudden? You didn't care for the first seven years, now you're 
Now I'm worried about what my classmates think. I'm worried that, that they're better at sports than me. I'm worried that they're getting their homework done before me. I'm worried about what that kid, that mean thing that that kid said to me at recess. And then we're worried about tornadoes and storms and what happens if the lights go out again and the, the power. All these weird fears are coming up and I'm so consumed with stress and worry and, and fear and it was bubbling up one day and we were all getting emotional and finally I just looked at Caleb, our nine-year-old, and I said, buddy, do you really not think that mommy and daddy are going to take care of you? Just kind of in this exasperated moment. And he's like, well, no, I know you're going to take care of me. I said, do you trust that we're going to meet your every need? Well, yes. Do you know that we've taken care of you every single moment of your life? That from the moment that you are born, we are there for you and making sure that you're going to be okay, that we're providing for you, that we are not going to stop now? And as I'm lecturing my son, God speaks so clearly in that moment. If you feel that way about him, how much more? How much more do you think that I feel that exact same way about you? We're just a bunch of grown-up kids, aren't we? We never stop needing to put our confidence in our Father. And I don't know about you, but I'm not putting my confidence in myself and my ability to figure my life out. I'm putting my confidence in the fact that there is a God that woke me up this morning, that put breath in my lungs, that got me here, that surrounded me with people that love me. That, here's the thing. If he can take care of eternity for you, he can probably take care of tomorrow morning. Amen? He's got it. He's got you. Put your confidence in him. Number one, contentment. Number two, we want to be people of confidence. And number three, what Jesus wants to do in our life is he wants us to be changed, but not by our own willpower that somehow I'm going to not steal. I'm not going to take. I'm not going to grasp. We're changed. It's a heart issue. God wants us to be changed by grace. When the grace of God gets a hold of you, your heart becomes different. You can't help, but instead of taking, you become a person of radical generosity. And no, nobody knows that better than your friend and mine, a little man, named Zacchaeus. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to end here today in Luke chapter 19. If you've got your Bible app or your Bible, go to Luke chapter 19. And if you grew up in the church, and even if you didn't, I want to tell you this quick story. Maybe you've heard of Zacchaeus, or maybe you've just heard the jingle. So help me out here. Don't leave me hanging. Zacchaeus was a... And a... Pretty good, right? So you know that Zacchaeus was a wee little man. What you may not know is that Zacchaeus was a very big thief. In those days, tax collectors were notorious for swindling and manipulation and money laundering. And if the Roman government's charge, I'm here to collect your taxes and it's $10, I'm going to charge you 12. I'm going to charge you 50. I'm going to take a little bit off the top for myself. And so everybody hated tax collectors, which means they were outcasts. They were thrown in that category of like the really bad sinners. And that's Zacchaeus. And even though he's trying to take and steal and grasp and fill that void in his life with everything that he can, it's clearly not enough. Because one day, he hears rumors that this man named Jesus, this rabbi from Nazareth, is coming by and he just wants to get a look. Little does he know he's about to have an encounter with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so Jesus comes walking by and Zacchaeus climbs himself up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see, right? Yeah, those jingles are really helpful. And Zacchaeus is up in the tree, and we pick up the story in verse 6. Excuse me, in verse 5. When Jesus reached the spot, in the middle of the crowd, and in the sea of faces, 
Jesus looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Which in those days, inviting yourself over to somebody's house was number one, scandalous. You don't do that. You get invited. And number two, when you have dinner at somebody's house, that is an act of friendship. So when Jesus is having dinner at all these notorious sinners' houses, it gained him the reputation, Jesus, friend of sinners. And he looks up in that tree and he sees Zacchaeus, and it says Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed him gladly. What just happened there? Something happened in that moment where Zacchaeus went from, I'm just going to get a glimpse of him. I don't really want anything to do with him, but I'm just going to get a look at him. But something happened when Jesus saw him. Jesus sees you this morning. Not as you should be, but exactly how you are. And you don't have to put on some mask to come to church. That's not the kind of church that we are. You don't have to put up coming out of veil or front and say, I'm good. How are you? Great. Everything's good. No, it's not. It's not, and it's okay to not be okay. You can be content even when things are shaky all around you. But Jesus looks at Zacchaeus and something happens in that moment that Zacchaeus says, I'm home. Like we talked about last week, I belong. I'm with him. I am wanted by God. And Jesus looks at you wherever you're hiding this morning. And he says, I'm coming to your house. Oh, this just got personal. Zacchaeus' story is your story, and he looks at you, not just as a face in the crowd this morning, but one of his children, and he says, I'm coming to your house today. I want to have a relationship with you. And something shifts in Zacchaeus, because watch what happens next. Verse 8, Zacchaeus stood up and he said to the Lord, without even being asked, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Zacchaeus didn't take no financial peace university or anything like that. He doesn't have any training. Something dramatic happened in that moment. The grace of God changed Zacchaeus from a thief to an extravagant giver. And he can do the same for you. To to change your life from a life of taking and grasping, and I, I need this, and I need this, and I need this from you, and I'm never satisfied, and I'm never content. There was a peace in Zacchaeus' soul that he'd never experienced before, and it was found when Jesus saw him and says, we belong together. And that same thing can happen for you today as well. There's two different ways to live this life. One is if nothing is a miracle and somehow life owes you something, or if everything is a miracle. Everything is a miracle, and all is grace. And if all is grace, then I don't own anything. And if I don't own anything, all of a sudden, I'm freed up. And so when we talk about giving, we talk about serving, all of a sudden, I am freed up because I don't own anything anyway. It was never mine to begin with. Everything that you have, your house, your car, your checkbook, your kids, your money, your possessions, everything, none of it is yours. It is on loan to you from a good and gracious God. Amen? It's not ours. And when we realize it's not ours, now we're freed up. Now we can be generous. Now we can start talking about giving and generosity. And here's the cool thing, Hope Elam, you're doing it. You're doing it in so many ways. When people ask Pastor Brian and I, like, okay, what's going on at Hope Elam? Tell us, tell us all about the people at Hope Elam. One of the first, first words out of my mouth is they are a generous church. An incredibly, incredibly giving church in so many ways. A giving church, a faithful church in the ways that you give, not your time, 
your talents, and yes, your treasure. But we can give in so many different ways. And through your generosity, God continues to bless this church. God continues to change lives. And so today, instead of focusing on what not to do, instead of focusing on stealing, I just wanted to spend a moment and talk about how generous that you've been and the impact that that makes. Why why are we talking about this? Well, because Jesus cares about our hearts. And he knows that where that treasure, that's where our treasure is, is wherever our hearts are. I don't talk so much about money and possessions. I want to talk about where your heart's at. And the heartbeat of this church is a mission for God. And so today on your way out today, you're going to get one of these update flyers. The greeters will have them for you at the doors. And really what it is, it's just a snapshot of what God has been doing in this church over the last year. And we celebrated last week. We wanted to kind of put that in picture form to give you an idea of all the amazing things and the ways that God is using you and your generous giving in this church to make a difference. We talk, we have some different funds here at the church. A lot of you give to our general fund. There's a fund on top of that called the building fund that goes to capital projects and improvements and paying down our debt. Just this last year, you gave $370,000 to that building fund. So praise God for your generosity, for your love. It's incredible. It's incredible. Worship continues to grow deep and wide. Every weekend on Wednesdays, 41,000 meals served to our community this past annual, uh, annual year. Invested in over 140 students in our facility between our mission partners, our preschool, our schools that we have here in the building. We have over 500 children and families through all of our youth and family events. We've served schools, refugees, our neighbors. This building is hopping seven days a week on all five levels now with five different faith-based nonprofits, thanks to your continued gifts and generosity. We're so thankful for that. There's no way we could do that without you. And the one maybe that I get most excited about, we kind of lost count a while ago, just dozens of baptisms. You know, scoop and pour, dunk at the river, doesn't matter. So many baptisms, so many people coming to new life, putting their faith in Jesus Christ for the very first time. It's incredible to be a part of. And the only way that any of that is possible, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, the only way that any of that is possible is through a good and gracious God. He's the famous one. Not to us, but to him be the glory. Amen? It's all about him. So we give God praise for that. But it's also due in part to him inviting us to be a part of that mission. And us saying, God, I want to join and be a part of what you're doing and your faithful giving. Your time, your talents, the way that you pray Your prayers matter. It's the foundation of this church, the way that you serve and the way that you give. And yes, that includes financially as well. Why why do we talk about money? We don't talk about money very often. We should probably talk about it more because Jesus talks about more about money in the Gospels than heaven and hell combined, believe it or not. Why do we talk about money? Because money is a big deal to God. But always, always money is talked about. Jesus talks about it, and the way we talk about money in this church is always in the context of setting you free. The same way that he did Zacchaeus, in setting you free. In fact, Paul picks up on this. If you go to the next slide in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it's one of my favorite verses about stewardship. Let's read it nice and loud together. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully says it pretty loud and clear. I've said it once and I'll say it again. If you ever, ever in this church feel an ounce of guilt or pressure or I should or I oughta, don't. Keep it. Here's the truth. God's got everything. 
God doesn't need our money as much as we need to give it. Because he wants to set us free because money gets its hooks in us. Stuff gets its hooks in us. There is no guilt. There is no pressure. In fact, today, if you feel any of that, don't serve. Don't give. God wants us to give from a free and faith-filled, joyful heart. A cheerful giver. The Greek word for cheerful there is hilarion. That's where we get the English word hilarious. God loves hilarious giving. Giving that doesn't make sense in the eyes of the world. But I will also say this. If you feel that pressure to give and you're having a hard time providing for yourself or your family and meeting those basic needs, you do not need to be giving to the church. The church needs to be giving to you and this church will continue to take care of you and meet your needs. Amen? But here's the thing. Some of you are in that position and we want to come alongside you as a church and help you. We want to be that kind of a church. But some of you are in a position where you can give. Not just your time and your talent, but your treasure as well. And that's what this flyer that you're going to get on the way out just talks about. Kind of gives you some next steps. And for some of you, a next step might be continuing to, to dive into God's, uh, God's this biblical principle that's all throughout Scripture of tithing. Giving the first 10% back to God. Maybe some of you are doing that right now and we thank you for your generous gifts. Maybe for some of you, it's starting off saying, I'm going to try 2%. I'm going to try 5%. It's not about the amount, it's about your heart. Ask God. Ask God, give out of a cheerful and joyful and faith-filled heart. Maybe it's starting to tithe. And for some of you, that other way to give, if you go to the next slide, there's certainly the regular tithe to the general fund, which is so important and helps support all of the incredible ministries and things that are happening here. But there's also a building fund that I mentioned. And some of you are like, you know, what, what is that all about? And that's what the rest of this flyer is about. We kind of unpack that a little bit. And because of your gifts to that building fund, we're not in an official campaign right now, but in your gifts to that building fund, we've been able to pay our debt down by $60,000 this last year. We've been able to, yeah, we've been, it's amazing. We've been able to, um, just about done with our fire and sprinkler system, which is going to be a major upgrade for our safety and security uh, here at the building, as well as if you have not been up to level five, that was kind of the last domino uh, to fall. And that is a beautiful renovated floor now that is already for the home of Genesis Youth Foundation. So we're really, really excited about that. So praise God for your gifts and what's that done. If you want to know more about that building fund that you can give an above and beyond your general fund tithing, Brian and I just recorded a video this last week that gives you an update on all these things and can go a little bit deeper with a little bit more time. And this flyer's on that website as well. And you can go learn more about how your gifts to that building fund can continue to make a difference and free up so much money that instead of all that interest going to the bank, think how much more money can go to right outside these doors. And you may not know this, but in the last fiscal year, this church, Hope Elam, gave over $90,000 outside this building to local mission and outreach. So praise God for that. You are an incredible, faithful church. And so I want to encourage you to check that out and to do a deeper dive in that. And here's our motto around here. It's simply this. Pray about it. It's between you and God. It's not about us as pastors, not about anybody telling you nobody's going to knock on your door, nobody's going to come over and say, hey, have you given to the church recently? We have never known and we'll never know what you give. That's not, it's not for us. It's between you and God. Pray about it, listen to God's voice, and take a step of faith. And do so in freedom and in joy. The prayer is simply this. God, what do you want to do through me to continue the mission at Hope Elam? What do you want to do through me? Anything, God. I'm open. I'm surrendered to you. I want, I want to have a Zacchaeus kind of heart in any of those ways. And hear me say this. Every gift matters, financial or not. 
Every gift matters. It's not about the amount. It's about your heart. It's about your heart learning to be content, learning to be confident in your Father, and learning to be changed by grace. That's what Jesus is after today. Came across this video that I want to close with today that I think really paints this picture of that Zacchaeus moment and the change of grace that God wants to do in each of our hearts. Pay very close attention. It's not in English. You pay attention to the subtitles. You understand the storyline. But as you watch this, I want you to think about the power of a heart that's been changed by grace. Take a look. Yeah, praise God. Amen. Here's the truth. Extravagant generosity is born out of being shown radical grace. That was Paul's story. When God showed up in his life, that was Zacchaeus' story. That was this little Thai boy story. And it can be your story too. If you will open up the ache, the hole, the void that is in your life that can only be filled by Jesus and let him all the way in. We have a God that didn't pay some medical bill 30 years ago. 2,000 years ago, all expenses paid on an old Roman cross. Amen? And then he took our sin and our guilt and our shame and took our sin and death and in exchange gives us life. Jesus has given us everything. He's given us his life. Will you trust him with yours? How much more valuable are you than the birds? We have a God that has provided and will continue to provide everything that we need. It's all his. And that loosens our grip on everything that we own and everything that we call mine. And all of a sudden it's his. And now the weight is lifted and I am free to give and love and serve and to be a part of what God's doing in this church. Give it all to him. Let him all the way in. He is enough. Jaira the God who provides. Amen? Amen. Wherever you're at, in the room or online, let's stand together and let's sing of this Lord who provides. Thanks so much for joining us. To find out more about Hope Elam, follow us on Instagram at hope.elam or visit our website at hope-elam.org.